May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. God's people said, Amen. Robert Tate Miller was an author and screenwriter up until the time he passed away last month. He's probably best known for his joyful Christmas movies and screenplays. Think Hallmark Channel. We enjoy those at our house. He grew up in Hendersonville, North Carolina, a place where everybody knew each other. He walked to and from school each day. Many of his writings reflect the influences of being raised there in the mountains of North Carolina. One such story he shared was when he was a student in Miss Case's fourth grade class. And back then, he was known not as Robert, but Robbie. He had looked forward to this particular day all year long, Miss Case's end-of-the-year party. If you are a teacher, perhaps you are remembering those as I share this, or if you're a been in school and remembered them. But she kept a running calendar on the blackboard of how many days were left until the party. Well, that day had finally come, and Robbie's mom had signed up to bring her famous homemade chocolate chip cookies. He could not wait to see her come through the door with the cookies. And just watch the clock up above the blackboard. Couldn't wait for 2 o'clock to arrive. Well, 2 o'clock came, and no mom and no chocolate chip cookies. All the other moms had brought their things, the chips and the crackers and the brownies and so forth, but there was no sign of Robbie's mom or her chocolate chip cookies. And Miss Case went over to him because he was sulking there by himself. He wouldn't participate. I'm sure she'll be here soon, Robbie. Just be patient. She'll get here. Well, the party went on, and the bell rang at 3 o'clock, signaling the end of the party and the end of fourth grade. No mom, though, and no chocolate chip cookies. The four-block walk home seemed like four miles. He went in straight through the front door, slammed it behind him, ran up the stairs, and jumped on his bed lying face down. Well, his mom heard him and came into his room and sat down on his bed. But he refused to even acknowledge her presence. And he lashed out at her for not showing up at the end of the school year party. His mom, as you can imagine, felt awful. Maybe you've been there, forgotten something like that. And there's not a thing in the world that she could do other than apologize. I am so sorry, honey, she said. I forgot. I just forgot. I got busy with some things for today, and I don't have any other excuses. I just forgot, plain and simple. Then something happened that Robbie had never seen before. Tears were running down his mother's cheeks. 
usually he was the one crying and she was the one comforting him. She said, I'm so sorry I let you down. He didn't know what to do or to say. And then he thought for a moment and he said, it's okay, Mom. It's, it's okay. We didn't even need those cookies anyway. We had more than enough to eat. Don't cry. It's all right. Really. And then she looked at him and started to smile a little bit. And then she just grabbed him and held him tight and gave him a big old hug. Usually, if the hug was too long, he would squirm away. But not this time. She didn't want to know. They didn't say another word. They didn't mean anything. Perhaps this story is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer meant when he said, forgiveness is not so much a word spoken, but a way of life. Robbie could have chosen anger and resentment because his mom let him down. He could have brought it up over and over again. He could have had to go to therapy when he was an adult because of the cookies and constantly getting historical and bringing it up. But he didn't. He chose the better way. He chose to forgive. Today's story in the book of Genesis is about a young man named Joseph whose brothers were so jealous of him that they sold him to a group of Midianite traders who in turn sold him into Egyptian slavery. They then lied about it, telling their father, Jacob, that Joseph had been attacked by a wild animal and had died. Meanwhile, Joseph ended up earning the favor of Pharaoh and was put in charge of all of his business affairs. He was prime minister of Egypt. Some 20 years after this happened, Joseph, as an official of the Egyptian government, comes face to face with his brothers. This was much more than forgetting the cookies and the end of the year party. But his response was just the same as Robbie's. Joseph could have chosen anger and bitterness, resentment and revenge, but he took the better way the way of forgiveness. Joseph chose to forgive. It's hard work, but he did it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, whoever is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Joseph was able to let go of the years of anger and resentment and see the bigger picture, that God was at work through his situation, even though it was ill-intended by his brothers. And today we will see how God can help us just the same. Before we go to the story in Scripture, briefly, there are some important things I think we need to hear or to know about forgiveness. We don't want to risk cheapening this gift of God's grace, and we certainly don't want to diminish the emotional scars of someone who's been wronged or hurt. This list is certainly not conclusive, but it's a good start in the space we have today. If you're taking notes, here's the section to know. 
bulletin notes, and you could jot some key words down if you want to. Forgiveness is a choice we make. We've, we've been given the choice by God. Jesus taught about it in the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed as Jim led us earlier. Forgive us our trespasses or our sins as uh, we are forgiven, as you, Father, forgive us. And you remember when the Apostle Peter said, Jesus, uh, just how many times are we supposed to forgive? It's seven times. And, and Jesus said, 70 times seven. Forgiveness is a choice. With God, forgiveness is made possible. We forgive because God forgives us. It's possible. Forgiveness is not forgetting, excusing, denying, or minimizing the hurt. Often that happens, and forgiveness is not those things. Forgiveness is not justifying the perpetrator's actions or blaming the victim. While divine forgiveness is immediate, remember that human forgiveness can take time. Often, as in Joseph's case, it can take years. Forgiveness is freeing. It's like detox for the soul. And remember, I'll be posting these notes on our website on Monday. And so you can access them there with the sermon information. We'll have all of that. When we harbor resentment and hold grudges, we internalize all of those emotions. It can literally cause toxins to build up in our bodies, in our minds. And when we forgive, God releases those toxins and we can start to reclaim the joy of living. That's what Joseph did. Joseph was this favorite son of all of the 12 sons and of the sisters. The Bible doesn't give us exactly how many sisters there were. But Joseph had two wives and, and two concubines. They were children from all four. Joseph came, and we're not saying that that was God's plan, but that's how it's recorded in the Bible. That's what uh, Jacob ended up doing as he became the father of these children. Jacob had the wife who was the favorite, Rachel, and she gave birth to Joseph, his favorite son. You remember he was given the coat of many colors. And his brothers got sick and tired of him being seen as the favorite and being able to interpret dreams and so forth. And they conspired to get rid of him. And they decided first to kill him. Uh, and, and then they ended up throwing him into a pit and having some time to figure out what to do. Along came the Midianite traders, and the decision was made to sell him to the traders and then to go back and tell their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. How is that for a dysfunctional family? You just read the story. It's, it's just one thing after another. Fast forward about 20 years, and by now, Joseph is only a memory to the family he unwillingly left behind. Everyone assumes he died long ago, both those who believe the wild animal story and those who know the truth. But a, a terrible famine has come upon the land of Canaan, 
So Jacob sent his sons packing off to Egypt in a last-ditch effort to broker a grain deal with the Pharaoh's chief of staff that they could survive. Little did they know that that Egyptian official was him, was Joseph, Pharaoh's number one advisor. Against all odds, he had survived. More than merely surviving, he prospered. Through an incredibly unlikely series of events, he had gone from slave to interpreter of dreams to butler to prime minister of Pharaoh. And we know this was no coincidence because God was with Joseph. There are a number of occurrences of that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph throughout the story. Joseph had plenty of time over those years to mull over what he might do to his lousy, backstabbing brothers if he had ever gotten the chance. And now the day has come, and he finds himself face to face with all 11 of his brothers. They're on their knees, prostrating themselves before him, and he has the absolute power to do whatever he wants to them. He could easily get revenge. Just give the word to his officials, and the palace guards would come and take care of the brothers. Problem solved. An eye for an eye, right? Let's read what happened. Joseph, in the company of his brothers, could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. No officials, just Joseph and his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They knew revenge was probably coming. This would not be good. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Can I interject? What? Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is the providence of God. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph is somehow, by the grace of God, able to see the big picture. Some have said that this passage is the New Testament, is the Old Testament version of God works in all things. We know that God works in all things 
to bring about good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. We don't understand it exactly how it works, but we, we know it and feel it. In verse, verse 9, Joseph continues, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all you have, I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. the world is often the way of revenge. But Joseph demonstrates a higher way, the way of forgiveness, forgiving others, especially when the wound is deep. It is often the most difficult thing that any of us would ever be called to do. But by the grace of God, he did. A wise person has said, Forgiveness is when you set a prisoner free, and then you realize that prisoner is yourself. We talked earlier about what to know. Now we'll talk about what to do. What can we do? Like Joseph, by the grace of God, we can choose to break the cycle of old family patterns. Often when I work with couples give premarital counseling before their wedding, we talk about patterns of communication and um, how to deal with anger and so forth in the family. And we talk about how their families of origin dealt with it. And there are times when I have to coach them to break the old patterns and don't bring those things into your marriage relationship because they are unhealthy and will only promise you the same old thing that has been before. So we can choose to break the cycle of old patterns like Joseph did. We can choose to let go of anger, bitterness, resentment, and revenge. We can choose to then take hold of God's peace that passes understanding to fill those voids when we have released them to the Lord. Like Joseph, we can seek the big picture to remember God is with us. God is near And that even in the difficult times that God is at work and there's always the opportunity to see the goodness of God come out of difficult situations. And in this process, there are times we may need some counseling to go to a pastoral counselor or or a trusted Christian mentor or a, a clergy to help navigate these things. You're not 
you and I aren't supposed to do it alone. And then there are times like Jesus when we have to ask God to do the forgiving because we just can't go there. The hurt is too deep. And when Jesus is on the cross and looked at his, uh, the people who are executing him, he said, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. And in the Greek New Testament, that is an imperative. It's, it's, it's Father, you forgive them. Jesus is giving the Father a command. Father, you forgive them for they not know what they do. Perhaps Jesus, the human being who limited his divine power as he was on earth, could not bear to forgive those people and needed to rely on the Father to do it. And I believe there are times when that occurs in our lives as well. Lawrence Stern, a well-known 18th century preacher and writer, said, Only the brave know how to forgive. A coward never forgave. It's not in his nature. We can be brave and with God's help find a way to forgive. Native American tradition tells of the story of a little boy who went to his grandfather and was highly upset about some of the things that other children had said to him. And he needed help with it. He was so angry. And the grandfather told him the story. And he, he said, I have had those feelings at times as well. And inside of me there are two wolves. One wolf always wants to do the right thing. Never hurt the enemy. And never wants to do anything that would cause harm to anyone. But the other wolf is one full of anger. The smallest irritation makes it go into a fit of rage, fights everyone for no good reason. It's hard to live, he said to his grandson, with these two wolves in us, both of them which wish to dominate the spirit. And his grandson said with big eyes, which one wins, grandfather? And he replied, the wolf you feed. What burden of anger and resentment are we feeding? What are we harboring within us that is causing us to be burdened? How long have we nurtured it, cherished it even? Maybe today, maybe this week, with prayer, and God's help, it's time to let it go. Very likely it's causing you and me more pain than it is anyone else. Let the anger go and let God heal the soul. I'm reminded of the conclusion of the prayer of St. Francis. For it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternity.